investigate. When Lawrence himself emerged, cue in hand, from the billiard room. But Tabitha continued to scream at her brother, until finally she was carried to her room in the West Wing, where a sedative was administered by Nurse Gannett. Such was the atmosphere at Winshaw Towers, as the deathly silence of nightfall spread itself over the venerable old seat. A silence which was to be broken at three o'clock in the morning by the ringing of the telephone and the news of Godfrey's terrible fate. No bodies were ever recovered from that wreckage. As soon as Tabitha heard the news, she had thrown herself into a frenzy. Among the instruments of violence with which she had attacked Lawrence were candlesticks, golf umbrellas, razor blades, riding crops, a loofah, a niblick, an Afghan battlehorn of considerable archaeological interest, a chamber pot, and a bazooka. The very next day, Dr. Quince signed the papers which authorized her confinement in a nearby asylum. She was not to step outside the walls of this establishment for another nineteen years. During that time she became an obsessive reader of books and periodicals concerned with aviation. There she remained until September the 16th, 1961, when she was granted a temporary release at the request of her brother Mortimer a decision which would soon come to be regarded as unfortunate. Death visited Winshaw Towers again that night. Sitting at the bay window of their bedroom, looking out over the bleak sprawl of the moors, Rebecca felt Mortimer's hand rest gently against her shoulder. "'It'll be all right,' he said. "'It's really very nice of Lawrence.' It was Mortimer's fiftieth birthday, and Lawrence had organized a small but lavish dinner, to which the entire family was invited. They're not monsters, you know. Not really. Mortimer rotated his left cufflink through fifteen degrees, squinting at the angle. I mean, you like Mildred, don't you? But she's not really family. Poor Millie. It's such a shame she never remarried. Mark's turned into an awful handful. He's just got in with a boisterous set. Oxford will soon knock that out of him. There was a discreet knock on the door, and the butler's gaunt figure took a few deferential steps into the room. Drinks are now being served, sir, in the ante-drawing room. He was about to leave when Mortimer detained him. Oh, Piles. Sir, if you could just check on the children. We left them in the nursery with Nurse Gannett, but... You know how she, uh, dozes, sometimes. Very good, sir. Mortimer walked over to the window and stood behind his wife, whose gaze remained fixed on the pitiless landscape. They'll be fine. I hope they don't break anything. Their games always seem so violent. It's Roddy, who's the little devil. He goads Hillary on. Darling, you're shivering. Mortimer sat beside her and she nestled against his shoulder like a bird seeking refuge. If it's Tabitha you're worried about, then you've nothing to be afraid of. Mortimer heard the hollowness of these words, and hated himself for it. Only that afternoon he had caught a glimpse of Tabitha crouched in the shrubbery, muttering to herself. He had coughed politely, whereupon Tabitha burst out, brushing twigs from her clothing. I... Morty, I... I was just out for a walk, and I saw... 
I'm mortified. Mortified. In front of Morty. To ward off a heavy silence, Mortimer said, Magnificent, isn't it? This garden. He took a deep breath. That jasmine. Just smell it. He had not mentioned this incident to Rebecca. Poised in the doorway, Rebecca found herself confronted by a roomful of Winshaws. Within seconds she had been pounced upon, kissed, plied with drink. Rebecca didn't even know who she was talking to some of the time. Here is Thomas Winshaw, thirty-seven, unmarried, and still having to justify himself to his mother, Olivia. Mother, you can get an extremely high return from investing in films these days. If you were just in it for the money, you'd have my blessing, says Olivia. But Henry's told me what your real motives are. Actresses. You'll only end up catching something nasty. Thomas smiles. His mother is quite wide of the mark. His interest in young actresses does not extend to physical contact. So for Thomas, the principal benefit of his newfound role lies in the excuse it gives him to turn up during the filming of scenes which provide opportunities for the voyeur. Scenes involving missing bikini tops and vanishing soap suds and falling towels. For Thomas has started out by investing in comedies starring the likes of Sid James and Kenneth Connor. From these he likes to clip his favourite images and turn them into slides, which he will project onto the wall of his office in Cheapside late at night. So much cleaner than inviting actresses back to his house, all that fumbling and coercion. You shouldn't take notice of anything that Henry tells you, you know, he now says with a chilly smile. After all, he is a politician. And here is Henry, Thomas's younger brother, already recognised as one of the most ambitious Labour MPs of his generation. Henry has a seat on the board of several companies, and should anyone have the temerity to suggest a conflict of loyalty, Henry is used to dealing with naive questions, which is why he is able to laugh airily as his young cousin Mark says, I take it you'll be travelling back to London first thing tomorrow in time for the demonstration. We all know that you labour bods are in cahoots with CND. Most of the people in this country recognise the unilateralists for what they are, a bunch of cranks. Henry pauses to allow one of the under-footmen to refill their glasses of champagne. Do you know the best bit of news I've heard all month? Bertrand Russell getting seven days in the slammer? That did bring a smile to my face, but I was thinking more about Khrushchev. He started testing H-bombs again. Really? Ask Thomas what that did to shares in the munitions companies. He made a few hundred grand overnight, I'm telling you. With Gagarin coming over and everyone talking about a bit of a thaw, things were beginning to look a bit shaky. Thank God it turned out to be a flash in the pan. First the war goes up, and now the Ruskies start letting off fireworks again. Looks like we're back in business. Mark Winshaw has already learned a great deal from Thomas and Henry. He will be going up to Oxford, and has just spent the summer working in a minor administrative capacity at Thomas's bank. It was so kind of you to give him that job, Mildred now says. I do hope he wasn't a nuisance or anything. Not at all, Thomas answers. He made quite an impression. Really? In what way? Thomas proceeds to tell the story of a discussion which took place between senior members of the bank one Friday afternoon. 
the conversation had turned to the Kuwait crisis. Thomas reminds Mildred that Kuwait had appealed to the British government for military support in readiness for an Iraqi attack. The thing is, says Thomas, that Pemberton Oaks couldn't stomach the fact that we were still lending enormous sums of money to the Iraqis. He said that they were the enemy, so it was Kuwait we should be dealing with, even though their borrowing requirements were pretty negligible. Well, there we all were, chipping in on both sides, when somebody had the bright idea of asking young Mark what he thought. And what did he think? asks Mildred, with a resigned note to her voice. Thomas chuckles. He said we should be lending money to both sides, of course, and if war broke out, we should lend them even more, so they could keep at it for as long as possible. You should have seen their faces. He turns to Mark. You'll go a long way in the banking business, Mark, old boy. Mark smiles. Oh, I don't think banking is for me. I intend to be more in the thick of things. Mortimer now approaches Dorothy Winshaw, the ruddy-faced daughter of Lawrence and Beatrice, who is standing alone, her lips set in their usual ferocious pout. Well, well, says Mortimer. Not long now before the happy event. Bit of excitement in the air, I dare say. I suppose so says Dorothy. Mortimer's reference is to the fact that she will shortly be married off to George Brunwyn, one of the county's most successful and well-liked farmers. Oh, come on, says Mortimer. Surely you must be feeling a little... Well, I feel exactly what you would expect in any woman, Dorothy cuts in, who knows that she is about to marry one of the biggest fools in the world. He doesn't even know what a conversion rate is, for God's sake. A conversion rate? The ratio of how much food you put into an animal compared to what you get out.